Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 25 through 31. God speaking, and he says, I will make with them, and you'll see later in our section here, it's Israel, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will send down the showers in their season, and they shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land and they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord God." As I've been showing you and we've been talking about, we're moving into the section of Ezekiel where God starts to get specific about the promises of what he's going to do in the last days for the nation of Israel, specifically at the end of the tribulation period when he gathers them back into the land and the millennial kingdom where Jesus rules and reigns on the earth begins. And what I want to bring out from this section right here is the fact that we see a glimpse of how wonderful it's going to be to live in the millennial kingdom. And I just say this because I'm one of these people, especially if you don't like wild animals. I don't know if you noticed how many times it talks about how he's going to remove the wild beasts from the earth. And I began to do a little study about that. And it's actually pretty surprising how much the prophecies in the scripture talk about the fact that the wild beasts will not be wild beasts during the millennial kingdom. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. And look at verses 18 through 25. Isaiah 65, verse 18, But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. As God, through Isaiah prophesying about, the millennial, prophesying about the millennial kingdom and talking about how if someone dies at 100 during the millennial kingdom, they'll be considered accursed or just an infant because people are going to live a long time during that time period, kind of like they did way, way back in the early part of, the, of, uh, of time, as we know, earlier parts around Genesis and so on. At the same time, the Bible says that they're going to be like the lives of a tree. That's how long people's lives are going to be during that time. But in this section that they're prophesying about how awesome it's going to be during the millennial kingdom, he says that the wolf's going to be able to lay right there and eat with, next to the lamb, and the lamb won't have to keep an eye on the wolf. The, the lion's going to eat straw like the ox. It's going to be a wonderful time. Jump over to Isaiah chapter 11. Just turn back 
to chapter 11 of Isaiah and look at verses 1 through 9. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins." The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Again, Prophecy about when Jesus comes and rules and reigns on the earth. It's obvious that this one that's coming from the stump of Jesse is obviously Jesus. And he's coming. and He's going to rule and reign. And it goes into great detail about how the animals, you won't have to be afraid of them anymore. If you remember from our passage we read in Ezekiel 34, it says you're going to be able to go sleep in the woods and don't be afraid. Which would be kind of a fun thing to do. Half of the fun is of, of, of camping is being able to sleep out in the woods. But the only problem is, is you're out there, what was that? What was that? You don't have to worry about that. Go to Isaiah 35. There's a lot more. Go to Isaiah 35. Look at verses 1 through 10. (laughs) I can't answer that because the scripture doesn't say, but I sure hope not. Because I've wondered for years how in the world, if we're at the top of the food chain, where does that put mosquitoes? That's what I was wondering. But snakes, we already just saw that the kids are going to be able to play in the cobra hole and the adder's den. Snakes won't be anything to be afraid of. During that time, which is good for me because I hate snakes. Isaiah 35, look at verses 1 through 10. It says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with recompense of God, with the recompense of God, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and they shall the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert the burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water in the haunt of jackals where they lie down the grass shall become reeds and rushes and a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness the unclean shall not pass over it it shall belong to those who walk on the way even if they are fools they shall not go astray no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let me give you one more. Go to Hosea chapter 2. You're going to see a little little bit later on tonight why the wild beasts being tamed will be important. But in Hosea chapter 2, look at verses 14 through 23. I love this prophecy about what God's going to do for Israel in the last days. It says, therefore, verse 14 of Hosea 2, therefore, behold, I will allure her 
and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Remember, at the end of the tribulation period, the Jews are going to be chased out of Israel and out of Judah by the Antichrist. Remember, he's going to step into the wing of the temple. Jesus said, when you see this, get out of Dodge. Run. Don't even go back into your house to get your coat. And the scripture tells us in Zechariah that actually two-thirds of the Jews are going to be killed in this process. One-third is going to run out into the wilderness. And that group that's in the wilderness there in Basra is going to be protected by God for three and a half years, as the scriptures tells us in Revelation. And look closely. God says, I'm going to allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I'll give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. And I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declare the Lord. I'll answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Again, promises of what God's going to do for the nation of Israel when he brings them back. After they run to the wilderness, he's going to lure them. He's going to turn to them. He's going to speak tenderly to them, and they're going to believe in him, and they're going to call him my husband again. And remember, they were his bride, and then he gave them a writ of divorce because of their wickedness, but he's going to bring them back and betroth them and buy them back. That's the whole story of the book of Hosea. And then he's going to put them in their land, and there's going to be a covenant between him and the wild beasts, and they don't have to be afraid of them. Folks, it may surprise you, but God really does care about our welfare when it comes to wild animals. I don't know if you know this, but go with me back to Exodus chapter 23. God gave us a picture of that way, way back in Exodus chapter 23. In Exodus chapter 23, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. He's about to bring them into the promised land, and he's given them promises of how he's going to do it. And in chapter 23, starting in verse 20, God says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Debusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days." I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. God says, I'm going to go ahead of you and defeat these people. I'm going to put a terror before you, of you before you, and they're going to, I'm going to drive them out. But I'm not, I couldn't do it all at once. 
I could just do it in one year and have them all gone, but that actually wouldn't be good for you because if I drove them all out in one year, the land would become barren and the wild beasts would increase. Then that wouldn't be good for you because I care about your safety from the wild beasts. I don't know how many of you remember this or know this, but the Old Testament stories and the truth of the scripture shows us that actually it wasn't until after the flood that there was an issue between man and animals. We've all seen the movies of Noah's Ark and how he always showed the picture of Noah dragging a snarling tiger on a leash up into the ark and all this stuff. That wasn't the case. I'm not even sure they were caged on the ark. Because actually, if you look at the scriptures, you'll notice that when Genesis chapter 2 comes and God gives us a description of how he's going to make Eve, he said that he had all the animals come before Adam, before Eve was made. And he, Adam just named them and he gave them dominion over them. And he just, the animals came by and he named them. Let's think about this. In the garden, Eve was having a conversation with a snake and she wasn't freaked out by it. But after the flood, Genesis chapter 9, you can double check me later on. Genesis chapter 9, God says that he put a fear of man into the animals. And then man could actually eat animals at that point. Because prior to the flood, animals ate only grass. Man only ate vegetables. After the flood is when it all began to change in that area. We'll get into more detail of why that is later on tonight. But just keep this in mind. The scripture says that one of the things that's going to happen during the millennial kingdom, during that time where Jesus is going to rule and reign on the earth, and it's going to go back to the days like it was in the Garden of Eden, almost, there's still going to be sin. Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron, and there's going to be judgment. But at the same time, because Satan's going to be bound during that time, God is going to make it so that the wild beasts are no longer wild beasts, and they go back to what they were before. And a kid can lead them. A kid can play in the cobra hole. That's going to be an amazing time because let's be honest. Have you ever been to the zoo and thought, man, it'd be cool to be able to go and just pet that tiger? Now, years ago, I was uh, in uh, Thailand preaching for a week. And while we were there, they took us to one of these places where they have the cobra shows and all this kind of stuff. If some of you might have been there, I didn't ever go to the cobra show. I don't like snakes. And if you see the venue where they're holding the cobra show, there's nothing between you and the cobras. If the Cobras decided they were going to take off into the crowd, there was nothing between you and the, and, and the show. So I never went to the Cobra show, but they had there a tiger on a chain that you could have your picture taken with. I think it was extremely drugged, to be honest with you, because its eyes barely opened. But I remember having my picture taken with this tiger as I got to sit next to the tiger and put my hand on the tiger. And it was an amazing thing, but I got to be honest with you, my smile was fake. Because there was always that side of me that said, Keep looking away, keep looking away, because when it turned its head towards you, yeah, you know. But the Bible says that it's going to be such during that time that it won't be that way with the animals. You can actually have interaction with them, and it's going to be a great, great, amazing time. Can't wait for that. That's going to be pretty cool. Go to back to Ezekiel, and let's go to chapter 35 and look at verses 1 through 15. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir, and prophesy against it, and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you a desolation and a waste. I will lay your cities waste, and you shall become a desolation, and you shall know that I am the Lord, because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you, because you did not hate bloodshed. 
Therefore, blood shall pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation, and I will cut off from it all who come and go. And I will fill its mountains with the slain on your hills and in your valleys and in all your ravines. Those slain with the sword shall fall. I will make you a perpetual desolation and your city shall not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord because you said these two nations. By the way, that's Israel and Judah. These two nations and these two countries shall be mine and we will take possession of them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will deal with you according to the anger and envy that you showed because of your hatred against them. And I'll make myself known among them when I judge you and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all the revilings that you uttered against the mountains of Israel, saying they are laid desolate. They are given to us to devour. And you magnified yourselves against me with your mouth and multiply your words against me. I heard it. Thus says the Lord God, while the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel, behold, it was desolate. So I will deal with you. You shall be desolate. Mount Seir and all Edom, all of it. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Now, we have already covered much of this in great detail already when we looked at God's prophecies against the Gentile nations. And just as a reminder, if you want to write these down and go look at it later on, Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 through 3, tells us that Mount Seir and Edom and Esau are all the same, the descendants of Esau. Genesis 36, verses 6 through 8, shows us the same thing. So when it says prophesy against Mount Seir, it's talking about the Edomites and the land of Edom or the descendants of Esau. And if you remember from our study already that we've gotten into, the Esau had always had an enmity toward his brother and his descendants especially continued that on to the point that they were always against the people of Israel, even to the very, very end. And what God is saying here is simply this. As I begin to make promises to Israel about what I'm going to do and bring them back into the land and all the blessings that I'm going to do, Edom, you guys won't get to be a part of it. When the whole world rejoices, that's at the millennial kingdom and all the nations. Remember, we've looked at how even though the Moabites are going to be judged, he's going to restore the fortunes of the Moabites in the last days. And how even though the Ammonites are going to be judged, he's going to restore the fortunes of the Ammonites in the last days. He's saying to them, as I make all these promises to Israel and what I'm going to do in the nation of Israel and the land of Israel in those days, when the whole world is blessed and rejoices, you won't get to be a part of it. You will be a desolation forever because of your enmity toward Israel all along that has always been there. I'm going to remember that forever. And the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, won't be a part of it. By the way, that's all we're going to do in chapter 35. That is the fastest chapter I've covered in this entire study. Go over to chapter 36. Chapter 36, look at verses 1 through 15. And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. We already saw him just prophesy in chapter 35 to Mount Seir. Now he's told to prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy said of you, aha, and the ancient heights have become our possession, therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you from all sides so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and you became the talk of evil, uh, talk, talk and evil gossip of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and the hills and the ravines and the valleys and the desolate wastes and the deserted cities, which have become a prey and a de derision to the rest of the nations all around. 
ground. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and utter contempt that they might make its pasture lands a prey. Therefore, prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and the hills, to the ravines and the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath because you have suffered the reproach of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I swear that the nations that are all around you shall themselves suffer reproach. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I'm for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown, and I will multiply people on you, and the whole house of Israel, all of it, the city shall be inhabited, and the waste places rebuilt, and I'll multiply on you man and beast, and they shall multiply and be fruitful, and they shall... Sorry, and I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times and will do more good to you than ever before. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. I'll let people walk on you, even my people Israel, and they shall possess you and you shall be their inheritance and you shall no longer bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour people and you bereave your nation of children. Therefore, you shall no longer devour people and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. And I will not let you hear any more the reproach of the nation. And you shall no longer bear the disgrace of the peoples and no longer cause your nation to stumble, declares the Lord God. God now has Ezekiel prophesied to the mountains of Israel or to the land. And I don't want you to miss this. Here is further evidence of a literal millennial kingdom on the earth. This prophecy, this promise, these promises of God are to the land of Israel. Don't miss this. Look closely again at chapter 36 with me and look at the specific language that shows he's talking to the land. There in verse 1, and you son of man, prophesy to who? To the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel. At the end of a verse number, let me see where we're at here. With verse, at the end of verse, well, beginning of verse 4. Therefore, O mountains of Israel. Hear the word of the Lord. And God says, To the mountains and the hills, the ravines, the valleys, the desolate wastes, the deserted cities. Look again at the end of verse 5. You gave my land to themselves as a possession. The end of verse 5 again. It's pasture lands of prey. Verse 6. Prophesy concerning the land of Israel. And say to the mountains and to the hills and to the ravines and the valleys. Look at verse 8. But you, O mountains of Israel. It says at the end of verse 8. They shall come home. Look at the verse Number 10, the end of verse 10, the cities shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt. It's very clear that God is specific, speaking specifically to the land of Israel, making his promises to the land of Israel that in the last days. Now, as you've heard me say before, let me remind you what's happened since 1948, where Israel became a nation again, is an awesome thing because it sets the stage for the prophecies of the tribulation period in the last days to be fulfilled because of the fact that the Israel had to be back in the land for them to be offering sacrifices at the temple, which hasn't been built yet, but the nation of Israel had to be back in the land for the Antichrist to chase them out of Israel. But the, what's gone on for Israel now and the fact that they're back in their land is not the prophecies about the regathering, because as you have seen and will see more, the prophecies about God regathering them at the very end says that when he brings them back into the land, all Israel will be there at that time. And right now there are Jews all over the whole world right now. Many are heading back to the land, which is awesome. But at the same time, he says that when he brings them back, they're never going to be 
afraid ever again. They don't have to fear. The nations around them won't be a problem. And we know full well that isn't happening right now, is it? That's not happening yet. And what's going on in the world stage is people are just amping up their weapons all around that area to get them out of the land. And God's going to do some awesome things in the days to come and the years to come to show his glory. But these prophecies are about the last days at the end of the tribulation period when God brings them all back in. But listen closely how many times he kept pointing out, I'm going to do it in that land. Folks, it's so sad to me how many Christians today have an all-millennial view that there is no literal ruling and reigning of Jesus on the earth in the land, from the land of Israel when the prophecies are so clear that it's going to be in that land. And by the way, you haven't even seen half of what we're going to look at tonight. Go to Ezekiel chapter 20. You're in the book of Ezekiel 36. Just back up to chapter 20. Look at verses 40 through 44. Chapter 20, verse 40, for on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them and there I will require your contributions and the choices of your gifts with all your sacred offerings as a pleasing aroma. I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered. And I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds. By the way, don't miss that because that's coming back tonight a lot later on that's important. The land that I swore to give your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds and that which you have defiled yourselves. And you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. And you shall know that I'm the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. God again says, I'm going to bring you all back and you're all... All of Israel that survives, all of Israel that's left at that time will all worship the Lord and they're all going to believe in him. Right now, that doesn't exist. The nation of Israel, even though they exist as a nation, for the most part, aren't God-fearing. They're just proud of their Zion heritage, but they don't really worship God. And we'll get to that in Ezekiel 37. We get to Ezekiel 37 in the prophecy of the dry bones. When we get to that, can't wait to show you how the scripture shows that the bones come together miraculously, and, but there's no breath in them. Even though they're up and moving, there's no breath in them. And that doesn't happen until God puts his spirit within them. So the nation's going to come back, which they are. They've come back to life miraculously from the dead. Yet they don't have the breath of God in them yet. But we'll get to that in chapter 37. The people of Israel, though, had not appreciated the land God gave them because their sins kept them from kept them from having God bless the land. And they spoke evil of the land. They actually, if you remember back here, go back to Ezekiel 36, you'll see they described the land of Israel. They said it bereaves us of children. In other words, it's an unsafe place to live and our children die there. It's interesting, though, as the Jews spoke evil of the land, the surrounding nations wanted it. Did you ever notice? And I'm going to show you some more. But the Jews were always, let's go back to Egypt. They never really appreciated the land. Well, part of the reason was because God had told them, and we'll show you some of that tonight. God had told them, if you obey me, I will bless you and the land will produce for you. And it'll just be a great place to live. But if you don't obey me, I'm going to curse the land and the land won't produce. And you're not going to like living there at the same time. Even though the Jews spoke evil of the land God planned for them, the nations around all wanted it. Anybody have any idea why? I'm sorry? That's a part of it because the Jews had it, but it's deeper than that. Nope. 
deeper than that. Go ahead. <laughs> you know what? That's definitely human nature, but it's not it. I don't want you to miss this, folks. This is a spiritual battle that's going on. Why does Satan, remember Satan's behind all this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rules of the forces in the evil realm. What's really the issue is this. God has made promises that in the last days for his glory, he's going to take this people, bring them back to the land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for his namesake and for his glory, he's going to do something in that land so that the whole world knows that he's God. And Satan couldn't stop what Jesus did, even though he tried. Now he's working to remove those people from that land and not let them have it and to have all these other nations want it because Satan says, if I can keep the Jews from being a nation and I can keep them from being in that land, God can't fulfill all of his future promises and I'll win. Because who's coming back to rule and reign from that property? Jesus. Why do the other nations want it? It's because Satan's wanting them to have it and not the Jews have it. Sadly, the one that God's going, the people that God wants to be in it, and He's going to bless them with it, don't fully appreciate what it is that they've been given. It was a beautiful land, but when they took their eyes off of God, they saw it as dangerous. Go to Numbers chapter thirteen. Numbers chapter thirteen. We see this is the report of the spies that went out into the land to spy out the promised land that God had said He would give them. In Numbers chapter 13, look at verses 25 through 33. At the end of the 40 days, they had spent 40 days. And by the way, before I read to you these verses, let me just tell you, the verses just prior to where I'm going to read to you show that while they're in the land, they cut just one cluster of grapes. But that one cluster of grapes was so big, they had to hang it on a pole and two people had to carry it. Just one cluster of grapes was so big that two people had to carry that cluster of grapes. It says, at the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are great, and, sorry, are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea all and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. God had said, I'm bringing you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And trust me, it's a beautiful land. And I want you this. I'm giving it to you. And I'm actually going to move the people that are there out of it. And I'm going to give it to you. And they actually went and spied it out for 40 days, came back and said, yeah, that's an amazing place. But actually... It's going to devour us. When they take your eyes off of God, let me just put it to you this way. When you, when you take your eyes off of God, you miss out 
on some amazing blessings that God has for you. There are many of us that actually something that God wants to bless us with because of our lack of really trusting him, we fear what God wants to bless us with. And we see it as a bad thing. I'm going to be honest with you. When God was challenging me to leave the pastorate, to go by faith into this traveling ministry, to speak to churches around the country, and to get them back to the Bible, and to knowing what the book says, and to what it means to be led of the Spirit, and actually be listening to the Lord and doing what He says. When God challenged me to leave the pastorate, to go into this traveling ministry, I was petrified. I was scared. I didn't know what it was going to be like, and I was afraid to do it. And let me just tell you, it's been the greatest blessing in my entire life. I wouldn't want to go back to the pastorate for anything. But at the time, whenever I took my eyes off of God, what he wanted to bless me with became something I feared. I don't know what it is that's going on in your life, but I can promise you, God's challenging you to trust him. God's challenging you to take a step of obedience. He's asking you to do something that seems scary to you. And you are going to miss out on what God has for you if you see the thing he wants to bless you with as something to be afraid of. And I'll just leave it at that. Let the Spirit of God take where he wants to take it from there. God had promised that the land would be a blessing to them if they obeyed him. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, look at verses 6 through 10. God says, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and of water, of fountains and springs, flowing into the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you'll lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Look at this promise. He said, look, it's going to be a great land. If you'll obey me... Everything that that land has available to you, I'm going to bless you with. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Just turn over a couple of chapters to chapter 11. Look at verses 8 through 12. Deuteronomy chapter 11, starting in verse 8. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you're going over to possess, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. That's important. Keep that in mind. That the, land, the Lord swore to your fathers to give them and to their offspring. Again, don't miss that. The land that God promised your fathers to give them and their offspring. A land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of it, of it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed but then had to irrigate it like a garden of vegetables, but the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. By the way, have you anybody kept in mind as we've been noticing through our stuff that when God was talking to the Edomites and the Mount Seir and the, and, and the descendants of Esau, he says, y'all taking the land after I moved the Jews out of it. Y'all wanted to take it, but I was there. I was there. You might not have realized it, but I was there. And here the scripture shows that he has his eyes on that land. And we remember from Joel chapter 2 that the judgment of all the nations at the end of the tribulation period, he's going to judge them according to how they treated Israel and because they divided his land. I actually, interestingly enough, was on the golf course today and met a man who paired up with me and my friend who were playing. And uh, he just out of the blue started talking about his trip to Israel that he took years ago back in the time when Clinton was president. And he was talking about how at that time, while he was in Israel with his family, 
the president of the U.S. had the Palestinian leader and the Jewish leader at Camp David talking about the Golan Heights and how they're going to give the land to the Palestinians. But the deal was, as he was doing the research, talking to people over there, was that the U.S. was going to buy it from Israel and then give it to the Palestinians. Ooh, that's not good. That's not good. Go to Leviticus chapter 26. As much as God had said that if they obeyed him, he would bless them in that land, he also promised that the land would be cursed because of them and not bless them if they disobeyed him. In Leviticus chapter 26, look at verses 14 through 39. But if you do not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. You shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I'll set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I'll discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I'll break the pride of your power. I'll make your hearts, sorry, make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for the land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins, and I'll let loose the wild beasts against you. By the way, do you realize he's been protecting them the whole time from the wild beasts? We saw that earlier. But because of their disobedience, he's going to let them loose. Which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you're not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, and then I will look, walk contrary to you. And I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I'll bring a sword upon you that shall execute judgment for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I'll send pestilence or disease among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy when I break your supply of bread. Ten women shall bake bread in a single oven. And shall dole out, you shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters, and I'll destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the... Uh, uh, upon the bodies, dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor, abhor you, and I will lay your cities waste and make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas, and I myself will devastate the land, so that your enemies will, who settle in it shall be appalled at it, and I'll scatter you among the nations, and I'll unsheathe the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste." Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you're in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. It shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbath when you were dwelling in it. So here again, we see that God told him, look, if you obey me, I'm going to have the land bless you. If you disobey me, I'm going to send all of this and I'll devastate the land. By the way, did not all of that literally happen during, as we've been doing our study of Ezekiel, during the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the siege of Jerusalem, starting in 605 and 597 and then 586, all of that happened. The wild beasts, the disease, the famine, the eating their kids. And the land was desolate during that time period while they were in captivity in Babylon or ran down to Egypt. Oh, but don't miss 
what is said later on here in chapter 26. We look at chapter 26 of Leviticus and we're like, man, that's a bad chapter. Oh, go to verse 40, though. Go to verse 40. Look at chapter 26, verses 40 and for, through 42. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walk contrary to them, and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled, and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember what? The land. Folks, don't miss that. God says, on the day that Israel turns to me and acknowledges their sin before me, I will remember the covenant I made with Jacob, the covenant I made with Isaac, and the covenant I made with Abraham, and I will remember the land. We don't have time for me to take you there tonight because of what I want to do in the time we have left. But let me remind you, if you want to just go and study, starting in Genesis chapter 12, when God makes his promises to Abraham, and he's going to bring him out of the land that he knew and to a land that he was going to show him, he says, I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. Many times he'll say it. He'll say it in chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 17. But then, as you know, Abraham died never having received the land given to him. Actually, when his wife Sarah died, he had to purchase a piece of property in order to bury her because the land was never given to him. But God had told him, I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. And on top of that... Then he tells Isaac the same thing. You keep reading through, you'll see Isaac's told, the same promise I made your daddy, I'm going to make to you, Isaac. I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. Isaac never received the land. Jacob was made the same promise. I'm going to give you the same promise I made your grandfather and your father. I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. And Hebrews chapter 11 says, these died never having received what was promised, but they're going to receive it with us together. And what did Jesus say? He said, many are going to come. And they're going to sit at the table in the kingdom on the earth with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Israel turns back to God and they realize what they've done and what their, their, their fathers have done and they repent, God says, I'm going to remember the covenant I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm going to remember the land. I'm going to bring you back. And folks, that's why there has to be a literal millennial kingdom on the earth. Because if there is no time when Jesus comes back and rules and reigns on the earth and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are given that land, then God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he broke. He never gave it to them. They were sojourners and strangers, lived in tents. They never had the land given to them. Oh, but they will. They will during the millennial kingdom. And over and over, we've seen that promise. I'm going to remember the covenant I made with their fathers pertaining to the land. We need to remember that when man sinned, the earth was cursed because of him. Go to Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to hit this fast, because some of you have heard me teach on this, some of you might not, but I'm going to hit it as fast as I can, and so I really would like you to just be willing to just write some scriptures down. I don't have time to take you to them tonight, but this is extremely important because this is stuff that's for us today. Genesis chapter 3, look at verses 17 through 19. And to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, three things happened. One, they immediately were spiritually dead. They spiritually died at that moment. Remember, God had said, the day you eat of this tree, you shall die. God doesn't lie. Of course, Satan says, you're not going to die. Actually, they did. They died spiritually, and they were no longer allowed to be in the presence of God because of his holiness and their sinfulness. They lost the Shekinah glory that they had. They were no longer in his image in that way. They saw their nakedness when before the Shekinah glory had hit it, and they lost that spiritual connection with God. They spiritually died. Even though they kept living, they spiritually died, were separated from him. On top of that, they also then began to physically die. Now he said, because you've eaten of this tree, which I told you not to, you're going to go back to the dust of the ground. You're going to die because of it, physically. And thirdly, the earth was cursed because of it. Now, folks, that's important, because if you do a full study of the Old Testament, you'll find that there are three laws of redemption in the Old Testament, and they all tie to the three things that happened at the garden. There's a law of redeeming the bride. If Deuteronomy chapter 25, you'll see the law of leveret marriage. We know the whole Ruth and Boaz story. If a man dies and he's not produced any offspring for his wife, his brother's supposed to redeem his bride and take her to be his wife. And we see that whole picture. And what does the Bible say? That when you and I trust Jesus as our Savior, we become the what of Christ. You at that time pass from death to life. You are spiritually made alive. Go to John chapter 5 real quick. Go to John chapter 5 and look at verse 24. In John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you. By the way, does that mean Jesus was lying the other times he spoke? No. So if Jesus is saying, truly, truly, I say to you, that means you need to pay close. If you don't hear anything I say, hear this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has already passed from death to life. When you trust Christ as your Savior, at the cross, Jesus took care of all the three curses, which we're going to talk about in just a second. Jesus took care of all three curses through his death and his resurrection. And the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, you are made spiritually alive. You become the bride of Christ, and you've been redeemed. Oh, what? Your body still continues to die, does it not? By the way, write this down. Look at it later on. John chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. Jesus is talking to Martha. He says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die, even, you know, and then he'll live even though he dies. And he's talking about the difference between spiritual life and physical death. But again, we, we, our bodies still continue to degrade and, and to die, but spiritually we've been made alive. But there's going to come a point where our bodies are redeemed. There's a law in the Old Testament, Leviticus 25, of the redeeming the slave. Every seven years, the slave had to be set free. Or in the year of Jubilee, or the 49th year, they were to be set free. And Romans chapter 6 describes our bodies as slaves to sin. Oh, but there's good news. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And look at verses 20 through 26. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. There's an order for resurrections. 
All right? Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God and the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, look at verses 50 through 55. Chapter 15, verses 50 through 55, Paul says, I tell you, brothers, Tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Physically, they began to die, but when we get our new bodies, that curse will be taken care of. When do we get our new bodies, though? According to Scripture. At the rapture. We know 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no, no hope. We believe that Jesus died. We also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him, and their bodies are going to come up out of the ground. We who are alive are going to be caught up and we go be with him. And that's when we get our new bodies. But Romans 8 ties it all together for us. Go to Romans chapter 8. Remember, there were three things that happened in the garden when Adam sinned. Spiritually, they died. That's been taken care of already through faith in Christ. At the rapture, we get our new bodies. But there's still a third thing that happened. The earth was cursed. And actually, the scripture shows us then in Leviticus chapter 25, there was a law of redeeming the land as well. A person lost the property, a near relative could buy it back. The terms were written on a scroll and sealed with seven seals. Does that sound familiar? Because that's what happens during the beginning of the tribulation period where the scroll is opened by Jesus, who's the only one worthy to open the scroll. And every time he opens a seal, something starts happening on the earth. You see, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's, Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But he gave dominion to who? To Adam and to us. He gave dominion to mankind, rule and reign. Actually, remember, God created all the animals. Who got to name them? Adam did. He gave dominion to Adam. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they subleased it, if you will, the earth, Satan. And who is the ruler of this world now and the prince of the power of the air? For a season, Satan is. And in order for the land to be removed from its curse and the earth to be brought back to what it was originally, only a near relative can get it back, and he has to meet the terms. And that's what happens in Revelation 5 with Jesus opening the seals. By the way, that's further evidence of the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Let me show you. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 18 through 25. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Anybody else been feeling that? 
Anybody else been that, sensing that longing for heaven? You're done with this life? You're ready for the life to come? You're ready for your new body? Cancer will make you think of those passages a lot, trust me. But at this, especially chemo. But let me just tell you this. The scripture says that creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And one of the sons of God is going to be revealed at the rapture when we get the redemption of our bodies. There's an order. Christ the first fruits, but each in its order. Then when he comes and gathers us, we get our new bodies. And then at the end of the tribulation period, the Old Testament saints get their new bodies. And this is what I want you to see. The scripture shows us that the earth is going to be redeemed as well. Spiritually, they died. Physically, they began to die, and the earth was cursed. And all three are reversed because of Jesus, but in time and in an order. Now, in the six minutes that we have left, I want to finish chapter 36 of Ezekiel. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 36. Look at verses 16 through 21. During the millennial kingdom, though, the earth is going to be released from that curse. It's going to be wonderful. Ezekiel 36, verses 16 through 21. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land. They defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman and her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. And I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, and that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Why is God going to bring Israel at the end of the tribulation period back into the land? For the sake of his name, because he said he would. Folks, listen closely to me. We always hear that taking the name of the Lord in vain, if people think that's cussing and using God's name as a swear word, that's not what it means in the Bible. When you claim to be a child of God and take his name and then don't do what you say, if you look at the scriptures all the way back to the, 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 the law and the Ten Commandments, it's tied to let your yes be yes and your no be no because that's who your father is. When you say you'll do something and don't do it, you're taking the name of the Lord in vain because well, when we send our kids out, we always reminded them, hey, you are a Johnson, and you represent the Johnsons wherever you go. And when we're children of God, we represent him. And God said, the reason why I'm going to do this in the end is because of the sake of my holy name. Go with me real quickly to Exodus 32. In Exodus 32, verses 7 through 14. The nation of Israel is in the wilderness... Moses is up on the mountain with God getting the Ten Commandments. And he's been up there for so long that people go, we don't know what happened to him. And they turn to Aaron and they say, won't you make an idol for us, a God that we can worship? And Aaron makes the golden calf like they had had in Egypt. And God gets upset. In chapter 32, verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I love it. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. 
But Moses implored the Lord on his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, which is Jacob, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply you and your, so your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Did you see it? God says, get out of the way. I'm going to wipe them all out and I'll start over with you. And Moses said, that wouldn't look good for you, God. Now, of course, God already knew that he wasn't going to wipe them all out. This was a test for Moses. And it was a tough, a really tough one to think about it. God says to him, I'll make a nation out of you. And Moses said, as awesome as that sounds, that would make you look bad. And I don't want it. Because you've already made promises to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. And if you start over with me, you'll break your promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that won't look good for you. And not only that, the Egyptians would say you weren't able to take your people out in out of the land of Egypt and take care of them. And for your sake, I'm going to ask you not to do this. And God pretty much says to him, you know me well. Write this one down, look at it later on, Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 25. Numbers 14, verses 1 through 25, you'll see another situation that's similar to this, where God gets upset with the nation of Israel again and says, get out of the way, I'm going to kill them all. And Moses again reminds them, no God, for your namesake. We'll close tonight with Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, verses 1 through 11. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Isaiah 48. Look at verses 1 through 11. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name Israel, who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth, and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. In other words, God said, I told you way before they happened what was going to happen. Have we not seen that in the book of Deuteronomy and also in Leviticus? You're going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. You're going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. Oh, and by the way, at the very end, you're going to turn back to me, and I'm going to bring you all back. He says, I told you it all before it even happened. Because I know... Verse 4, that you're obstinate and your neck is iron as sinew and your forehead is brass. I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you. Lest you should say, my idol did them. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this. And will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them. Lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old your ear has not been opened, for I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own name's sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. C.S. Lewis was asked to prove the existence of God. And if you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, he was a very intellectual man. He taught at Oxford. He was just a genius, a brilliant, brilliant mind. 
who came to faith in Christ and has written some of the most amazing books on Christianity and some of the fiction of the Chronicles of Narnia and all this. He was asked, prove that God exists. His answer was instant. He said, Israel. He said, the nation of Israel is proof that God exists because God had said way, way back before anything that he was going to do this for this person named Abraham and make a nation out of him and all the things he was going to do. He said, all the people of the world have tried to wipe them off the face of the earth all throughout history, yet they still exist. You want proof that God exists? Israel. And God is going to use Israel for his glory in the last days. I love you. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.